Wish you weren't hearing an ad right now? Want to get the next episode even sooner? Well, after the show, head to watchnebula.com slash radio. You'll get access to our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping us to make even more amazing content. Just go to watchnebula.com slash radio. It really helps us out. Well, because this is clearly the darkest timeline many have asked, and now I must answer the question, what if the president refuses to leave the White House? You'll never take me alive, coppers. Get him! Hey, Legal Eagles, it's time to think like a lawyer and the Secret Service. As I discussed in a recent video, Joe Biden is now the clear winner of the 2020 election and Donald Trump's lawsuits are not going to be enough to change that result. After it looked obvious that President Trump could not get enough votes to be reelected, the media started asking whether President Trump would make a concession speech. President Trump did not win enough votes to win the election, but he has so far refused to concede his loss. And although no president has ever refused to leave office, other elected officials in the US have thrown tantrums after losing an election. In 1874, Texas Governor Edmund Davis locked himself in the basement of the state capitol building after losing to Richard Koch. Like Trump, Davis claimed that there had been voter fraud, and the state Supreme Court, with three judges appointed by Davis, ruled in his favor. But Koch was still inaugurated. Koch then arrived at the state capitol with the sheriff's posse. But Davis appealed to fellow Republican President Ulysses S. Grant for federal troops, but Grant refused. Davis left three days later. In 1946, there was a standoff in Georgia known as the Three Governors Crisis, after the governor-elect died before taking office. The outgoing governor thought he had a right to stay, the son of the governor-elect thought he should inherit the office, and the lieutenant governor-elect believed that he was now governor. Bizarrely, the state assembly voted for the son to inherit the office. The two other men were still in the building, but that crisis ended when the governor-elect's son changed the locks. But if that happens this year, I'll finally get to collaborate with the lock-picking lawyer. Now, President Trump hasn't locked himself in the bathroom yet, but he is refusing to concede that he lost. Normally, the loser would have given a public concession speech by now. That's what Jimmy Carter did when Ronald Reagan defeated him in 1980, and what uh, George H.W. Bush did in 1992 when he lost his re-election bid to Bill Clinton. But what is a concession speech? Well, it's a public acknowledgement by the loser of the presidential race that he or she has lost the election. This is not a legal requirement, but it is an important norm that ensures the peaceful transfer of power, especially since the incumbent commands, you know, the whole military until the next president takes office. The concession speech generally allows the rest of the steps required to confirm the election results to move forward. After the loser concedes, lots of things happen behind the scenes. This triggers the release of millions of federal dollars to the transition team, along with access to office space and necessary equipment like computers and money. Under the 2015 Presidential Transitions Improvement Act, which amended the 1963 Presidential Transition Act, the president must establish a White House Coordinating Committee and Council of Agency Transition Directors six months prior to the election. Typically, the administrator of the General Services Administration, or GSA, signs a letter when the winner of the race is, quote, apparent. This acts as the federal government's formal declaration that the presidential race is over and a winner has emerged. Although every agency, including the GSA, has detailed transition plans as required by law, the Washington Post has reported that the plans won't move forward until a winner is declared by the GSA. This could mean a number of different things, that the transition won't happen until Trump gives up, or that everyone 
is waiting for the Supreme Court to declare a winner, but that's kind of not how this happens. In its guidance in April on how agencies should be preparing, the Office of Management and Budget noted that the committee would meet on May 27th. However, the GSA refused to publish the full minutes of this meeting. We now know that Emily Murphy, the President Trump appointed administrator of the General Services Administration, is refusing to sign a letter that immediately allows the transfer of power from one administration to the next. When the Washington Post asked her why, her spokesperson said, quote, an ascertainment has not yet been made and its administrator will continue to abide by and fulfill all requirements under the law. What these two facts, the OMB censoring the transition meeting notes and Murphy refusing to acknowledge the reality of President Trump's loss, what do those tell us? At a minimum, the Trump team has no intention of cooperating with the peaceful transition of power. And both President Trump and members of his cabinet have hinted that they are not going to comply with a peaceful transition. Uh, with, uh, in particular, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, saying that there will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. But the stakes of a delayed transition are actually higher than one might think. The bipartisan 9-11 commission found that the delayed transition in 2000 between the Clinton and Bush administrations actually made the 9-11 attacks more likely because it hampered the incoming W. Bush administration from focusing on the looming Al-Qaeda threat from day one. The delayed transition in 2020 might undermine efforts to distribute a COVID-19 vaccine. As the U.S. hits an all-time high for positive coronavirus tests, the Trump COVID task force has stopped meeting and its chair, Mike Pence, is uh, trying to go on vacation. But on top of screwing up the transition, there's all kinds of stuff that a nefarious squatting president could do on the way out. This probably deserves its own video, but those steps could include firing not only political appointees who the president doesn't like, but also career staff to just gum up the works. We've seen that already by uh, President Trump firing Defense Secretary Mike Esper and the potential firings of FBI Director Chris Wray and CIA Director Gina Haspel. The president has also named Michael Ellis as NSA General Counsel in these waning months. And you'll remember that name if you've watched my video on how the White House conducted a political motivated review of John Bolton's book. Ellis was the political operative who took a hatchet to it and prevented it from being published. These could be chaos moves or attempts to install true believers to take affirmative action benefiting President Trump. The president could pardon everyone in his orbit, including his family, his friends, his co-conspirators, and maybe even himself. And that's not even with respect to underlying investigations themselves. As national security analyst Asha Rangappa points out, the Trump DOJ could induce the Office of Legal Counsel to adopt all kinds of formal positions to justify the president's prior acts. And to the extent there are actually open investigations into President Trump personally and his family, the Department of Justice could paper over these files, adding memos that justify a closing of the cases or saying that the cases were never brought in good faith in the first place, and calling into doubt the evidence that's in those investigations files. And then of course there are the files themselves. While destroying records that have administrative, historical, informational, or evidentiary value under the Presidential Records Act is usually illegal, it's probably a good idea to keep an eye out for gray smoke coming out of the White House chimneys in the coming days. But all of that is during the transitional period. What if Donald Trump remains in denial about the election and continues barking orders at the military and holds on to the football? Well, Joe Biden is scheduled to be sworn in as president at noon on January 20th, 2021. So as of that date, what happens if President Trump is still throwing a tantrum and won't leave? What if he is a trespasser on the White House grounds? Well, let's start with the Secret Service. The president loses all constitutional authority when his term ends on January 20th, 2021. At this time, he no longer commands the armed forces or the Secret Service. Both of those entities will be commanded by Joe Biden. 
When President Biden arrives at the White House after his inauguration, he'll be accompanied by moving vans and the US Secret Service. The Secret Service is a law enforcement agency within the Department of Homeland Security. The Secret Service has two roles. They investigate counterfeiting and other federal crimes, and they protect national leaders and their families as well as foreign dignitaries. But what happens if a president the Secret Service has sworn to protect decides that he's still president and won't leave the White House grounds? Under the Former Presidents Act, the Secret Service provides lifetime protection to former presidents and their families. President Trump will be assigned a Secret Service protection unit that takes over after he is no longer president. But that doesn't mean that President Trump has legal authority over his post-presidential team. The Secret Service is led by a director. The current director is James Murray. The director is appointed by and serves at the pleasure of the president and is not subject to Senate confirmation. When Biden becomes president, Murray reports to Biden and not Trump. If it came down to a battle between President Biden's protective team versus Trump's protective team, well, it won't because President Biden and Director Murray would order former President Trump's security detail to stand down. But could some members of the Secret Service decide to disobey Biden's orders and fight for Trump? I mean, theoretically, but they'd be committing a felony. Section 3056D of Title 18 prohibits knowingly and willfully obstructing, resisting, or interfering with a federal law enforcement agent who is engaged in protective functions. And if former President Trump's security detail was prosecuted under 18 USC 3056, it's not even necessary to show that Trump's guys used force against federal law enforcement agents. Even blocking the entry to the White House grounds or the White House doors is considered obstruction or resistance. And of course, the law does authorize Secret Service agents to arrest anyone engaging in activity which could nullify or reduce the effectiveness of security precautions taken by the Secret Service. That means if former President Trump's Secret Service team locks the doors to the Oval Office or bathroom, they could be arrested and the government doesn't even need to prove that this interference was forcible or aggressive. It's also a felony under 18 USC 111 to forcibly assault, resist, oppose, impede, intimidate, or interfere with federal law enforcement officers, including Secret Service agents, in the performance of their duties. People who work for Secret Service uh, are well-versed in these laws and many of them have served for decades. It's highly unlikely that large numbers of them would turn the White House into the Alamo. And there are also other Secret Service support units that could be called on to help oust a squatting former President Trump. The Secret Service's Uniform Division protects facilities and venues secured for US Secret Service protectees, including the White House complex and the Vice President's residence at the Naval Observatory. These are probably the people who would be called on to repel any threats to the White House or the Vice President's residence. So if uh, President Trump asked the Proud Boys to no longer stand by, but to actually engage, these are probably the people that would act immediately. And the Secret Service also has some specialized units which could be called upon to remove Trump and his allies. The Emergency Response Team provides a coordinated tactical response for the White House and other protected facilities. The Counter Sniper Team uses observation, sighting equipment, and high-performance weapons to provide a secure environment for protectees. And if a Trump militia were on the scene, those special units would coordinate a response. And then there's also the Motorcade Support Unit providing motorcycle tactical support for official movements of motorcades. So President Biden would be safely escorted to the White House premises, even if an army of lifted Ford F-250 trucks with giant oversized flags showed up to block President Biden's advance. 
And frankly, I wouldn't mess around with the Secret Service. They have plenty of firepower to back it up. Agents and officers use the FMP-90 submachine gun, the 9mm H&K MP5, a 12-gauge Remington shotgun, and a 5.56 SR-16 QCB rifle. They also have plenty of non-lethal options as well, like a 16-inch expandable baton and uh, also pepper spray. Now, to be clear, none of this is going to happen. The worst case scenario is that a President Biden would simply kindly ask former President Trump to leave. And I'm sure that President Trump will have plenty to do uh, and plenty of places to go when his term expires. But if push came to shove, the Secret Service would be capable of perp walking former President Trump out and dumping him onto Pennsylvania Avenue, if not straight into federal prison. But there is one last wrinkle because the Secret Service are not the only guys with guns in the White House. What about the military? Well, there's been lots of speculation about whether Donald Trump could use the military to keep himself in power. This isn't likely. The military follows a chain of command. And when Joe Biden is sworn in, he will be the commander in chief and President Trump loses all authority. If President Trump makes any kind of order after noon on January 20th, 2021, the military will not follow those orders. And it's also worth noting that America has laws mandating political neutrality by members of the military. The military is not supposed to dabble in domestic affairs. The Uniform Code of Military Justice or UCMJ is the code of conduct applicable to members of the armed forces and certain other individuals closely associated with the armed forces. The UCMJ sets forth procedures for trials by courts martial and other disciplinary actions to enforce these laws. Now, it's important to note that the UCMJ does not apply to the president, but Article 88 of the UCMJ does make it a crime for any officer in the armed forces to, quote, use contemptuous words against officials of any branch of the U.S. government or any state government. The officer cannot make any derogatory statements against the U.S. president, and if a person does, he or she could be court-martialed. Yes, this is an impingement on the officer's First Amendment rights, but it's something that they knowingly give up when they join the military. Article 88 is one of the many reasons you don't see active duty military officers critiquing Donald Trump. They are sworn to uphold political neutrality. However, what if they're called upon by a president to do something that's arguably illegal or given orders by an ex-president? Well, the military is not supposed to obey illegal unconstitutional orders. Obviously, we hope we don't ever get to a point where military officers have to decide whether orders are illegal or not. It's up to military leadership to ensure that all presidential orders are lawful. But if Joe Biden is president, then he is the commander in chief. If President Trump tries to order the military to do anything, then that is an illegal order. And when it comes to presidents gone wild, we have one close historical example to go by. When Nixon's time was running out back in 1974, many feared that he would lean on his good friend who just happened to be the commandant of the Marine Corps. Now, the story is that Secretary of Defense James Schlesinger was so worried about Nixon issuing illegal orders that he told the Joint Chiefs of Staff not to implement any direct orders from President Nixon that was not relayed through Schlesinger. Now, we don't know if this story is historically accurate. Historians disagree about what actually happened, but it does show that military leadership have given lots of thought to what might happen if a president started a meltdown. And in fact, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that the military would not be involved in moderating or intervening any disputes. We do not take an oath to an individual. No, we do not take an oath to a country, a tribe, or religion. We take an oath to the Constitution. 
In his view, it's Congress's job to figure out what's happening and prevent it, not the military's. Milley is correct that the Constitution is silent on this exact scenario. However, he's probably already thought about what would happen if President Trump wanted to remain in power. In August, two retired army officers wrote an open letter to Milley stating that if Trump is holed up in the White House with armed supporters inside, the military must defend the rightful president. Stating, quote, in the constitutional crisis described above, your duty is to give unambiguous orders directing US military forces to support the constitutional transfer of power. Should you remain silent, you will be complicit in a coup d'etat. You were rightly criticized for your prior active complicity in the president's use of force against peaceful protesters in Lafayette Square. Your passive complicity in an extra legal seizure of political power would be far worse. But whether it's the military or the Secret Service, on January 20th, Donald Trump doesn't need to go home, but he can't stay here. And as Joe Biden put it, the United States government is perfectly capable of escorting trespassers out of the White House. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.